Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And I do not want to give you the impression that it's going to be easy. There can be no great social gain without individual pain. Before the victory for brotherhood is won, some will have to get scarred up a bit. Last October 19th, former President George W. Bush, in a speech in New York City, stated that we've seen nationalism distorted into nativism and bigotry seems emboldened. He also added concern of the bullying and prejudice in our public life and of a discourse degraded by casual cruelty. This from the previous Republican president of the United States. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. He is correct as the signs are insistent, the odious words, the Zig Heil-type salutes, the racist graffiti, rallies to save Confederate statues and unite the right events that descend into violence, like Charlottesville, Virginia. question begs itself. What would Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. say of today's America? What would Dr. King say of the hate? Dr. King did state, hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Pittsburgh, October 2018. My name's Wendell Hesrick. I'm public safety director of the city of Pittsburgh. First off, on behalf of the city, Our hearts go out to all the victims that have been involved in today's tragedy. These incidents usually occur in other cities. Today, the nightmare has hit home here in the city of Pittsburgh. As you're well aware, the Tree of Life Synagogue at 5898 Wilkins Avenue. At 9.54 this morning, calls were received at the Allegheny County Emergency Operations Center that an active shooter was inside the building. On this edition for the Dr. King Holiday Recognition, we unravel the return of hate in America and how to meet its challenges with Scott Levin, Executive Director of the Jewish Anti-Defamation League of the Rocky Mountains, which saw 11 Jewish Americans lost in a hate-driven event during their service at the Tree of Life Congregation in Pittsburgh. And with the Reverend Dr. Timothy Tyler of Denver's Shorter Community AME Church, sister church of Emmanuel AME in Charleston, South Carolina, who lost nine members to hate at a Wednesday prayer meeting. Adam, I don't call it a rise or recurrence. I call it a revelation of, um, I think to say that it, it's a rise or, or recurrence implies that it went either it went away or there's more of it. Uh, I don't think it ever went away, and I don't think there's more of it. I think that the conditions and the uh, atmosphere has been made ripe for it to reveal itself more and uh, for people to see it more without shame or trepidation. So I I don't think it's a rise or recurrence. I think it's a revelation of what's already been there and what we've been dealing with for a long time. Yeah, I I think that's probably true that um, racism— anti-Semitism, homophobia, Islamophobia, all those things have existed. It's part of the human condition, unfortunately. What I think may be a little different now is that there has been an empowerment 
where people can feel emboldened. They can sure. speak out on their worst thoughts that they had where perhaps before they put a filter to it. Today, there there is no filter. Sure. And I think that it, it not only is it there no filter, but I also think that uh, in the past, we, whenever we saw this kind of behavior, uh, when we say, saw this racist activity, we always said it was some fringe element uh, that uh, was some kind of an anomaly. And now what we're realizing is that it, these are not fringe elements. These are our neighbors, our doctors, our teachers, our our clergy in some mm-hmm. respects. And so um, I think it's a new, new sort of a uh, mainstream. It's a mainstream of, of racism. Absolutely. That's right. Some have said that that's one reason why it's uh, it has such it has more power than it has in the past, mm-hmm. even though it hasn't affected as many people as it has in the past. Mm-hmm. The knowledge that it's it is professionals, it is clergy, it's it's a range of people that you didn't expect before. They don't mit, they don't make that traditional model that we came to know mm-hmm. guys walking around in hoods and looking like Joe Bob at the bar. Yeah, okay. it's true. I mean, one of the things that I think really led to such a dramatic decline, for instance, in the Ku Klux Klan was when a lot of states had their unmasking laws and when you, you know, could no longer hide behind the hood and your neighbors got to see that you were saying that. Unfortunately, I don't think that's happening today in the same way. I know one of the things that we track, for instance, is white supremacists. And just in Colorado, we've probably had well over 70 incidents of them putting up their posters and passing out their flyers and stuff around around the state. And in the beginning, they would take pictures of themselves with their awful white identity kind of posters they put up. And they'd take pictures where it was from the chin down because they didn't want to show their face. But toward the second half of the year, they've been taking pictures with their faces and standing in groups. And they're very proud of themselves out there. So I'm a little bit afraid that even with the unmasking of these people, even being able to see who they are, there is no sort of shame to the kind of stuff that they're doing now. They're just feeling emboldened and empowered to do it. No shame and no fear because the systems and the people who we have traditionally relied on to, uh, to enforce some type of, of human goodness, if that's a phrase, uh, when those persons give license to uh, and say that it is all right and uh, blow the what we call the dog whistles of hate and racism, then people are no longer fearful or ashamed of what they do. And so we're living in a new era. In a, I think we're living in a new era of boldness, uh, dealing with some old hate and racism that has been along has been around since the beginning of time. Yeah. Now I know that stats always have their place in time. And um, some reporters and, uh, and sociologists have also written it. It's not as bad as it was in 1924 when Woodrow Wilson and them, they, they passed the laws that, that uh, prevented a lot of Mexican-Americans from coming into America and actually did a repatriation of a half million people at the border, including a lot who were born here, were sent back. Right. And we haven't done that yet. And they're saying, well, you know, that, that's it's not even approaching that level. But all of these things have to have their context in time. They do. I mean, I think one thing to to recognize, for instance, at the Anti-Defamation League, we, among all the different types of hate that we collect information about, one of them that we're particularly concerned about, of course, is anti-Semitism. And over the last 
four or five years, it's gone up dramatically from where our office just in Colorado alone was tracking 10 incidents in 2014. It went to 18 2015. It then went to 45 in 16. Last year was 57, and this year we're going to be over 70. So if you look at that just as a trend of things that have been happening for Jews in America right now, um, you know, life is fairly good. Um, There still is anti-Semitism that's going on for sure. But it's a bellwether, I think, for racism and Islamophobia and homophobia, all of those things that are going on. If this is going up, those kind of numbers and hate incidents are going up at that kind of rate, then I think that if that's happening to Jewish people, it's certainly happening to black people, Latino people, people that are perceived to be immigrants in this country. And that's a difficult thing. And then with regard to just one other thing, the hate crimes themselves, those are just hate incidents. You know, the FBI reports just came out. They trail back a year. So we're looking at 2017. But there was an increase of close to 60 percent in racial and ethnic hate crimes, 20.6 percent increase in religious based hate crimes and uh, close to 16 percent for sexual orientation. So, you know. It's not just incidents of hate that are going on, but actual hate crimes are going up right now, too. What makes a person move from maybe expressing their hate or, uh, or being able to, to expound on it to actually doing a crime? There's a demarcation line there someplace. What pushes them yeah. past that point? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I'm not a sociologist, but it's our working theory that – If you allow people to call each other names, to belittle each other, to tell racial jokes or ethnic jokes that are going on, those kinds of stereotypes and prejudices build. And it's a pyramid of hate. You work your way up from, you know, talk to action. Um, That action might be, yeah, going and painting a swastika on the side of a building that's out there or using the N-word in graffiti that's going on. And from there, you can feel emboldened to move up a step to where it's actual. You think that there should be systemic discrimination that takes place, violence that takes place. And ultimately, if you don't intercede down at these lower levels of what's going on, it could become where it really is a tragic crime that takes place. When people are constantly described as rapists and murderers uh, and uh, (laughs) drug dealers, uh, when groups of people are, are... described as negative uh, forces uh, in society, then people, I believe, uh, over time see themselves as sort of uh, the crusaders of good, quote unquote. Yeah. And it is their role and their their some their personal uh, duty to rid society of uh, certain people or certain races or certain groups. And so I think it, it, it just kind of they, they get overwhelmed and um, over a course of time, uh, what often is an internal hate leads to external actions that uh, hurt other people. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that we it's a combination that we when people demonize yeah. or and they dehumanize. I mean, think about what our history has been when we think of fellow uh, men and women as being less than human, what that allows people to do. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, there are um, some mainstreaming of this that takes place. And then we also have to worry about the extremes that are out there. You know, the people that are willing to actually act on this that 
um, are often themselves very troubled and they're looking for somebody else to dehumanize and to take it out on. Yeah, you're right, Rabbi. I, 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 I have, my wife and I have this conversation often, and uh, it seems that uh, when it seems like, the, first of all, there's a need to other, to constantly see people as other and then dehumanize, as you say. Yeah. And, and once you dehumanize and you take the, the, the humanness out of the other, then it's easier to attack them or to kill them or to to destroy them without feeling that you're doing something to another human being. Yeah. And that's a that's a that's a deep evil place to be in. If you could advise our audience here to do one thing that they could do to reduce hate in America or just in the community itself, what would you tell them? I, I would tell them to open up the lines of communication. At Shorter Community AME Church, we're hosting um, Race Talk University. And uh, we're going to be training about 50 people uh, to hold race talks in their own neighborhoods and communities to get people talking about this racist uh, atmosphere that we're living in. And so, and we'll have, uh, we'll have people of color, black people, white people. It's going to be a good mix of people. My wife and I will be leading these conversations for the next uh, about nine sessions. And then we're going to have a major sure. race talk uh, and we're going to allow people to put into action what they've done. And so I think that uh, what I would encourage people to do is just let's open up the lines of communication. This is not a conversation for Fox News. It's not a conversation for CNN, MSNBC, the White House. This is a conversation that we need to be having in the grassroots. And if we can get together on this issue, then I guarantee everybody else will get it together. Scott, you have the last word with that one. Uh, I I think that uh, Reverend Tyler is exactly right. I think we need to be able to talk with each other. We need to be able to respect one another. And I think that we need to be able to find ways to work together because we're never going to be able to resolve this on our own. We thank the Reverend Dr. Timothy Tyler of Shorter Community AME Church and Scott Levin, Executive Director of the Anti-Defamation League, for their insight on our focus on the return of hate in America for the holiday recognizing Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We will continue our conversation with them on our next edition. Dr. King recognition activities continue this weekend on Monday with the annual Marade from Denver City Park along Koufax downtown to Civic Center Park at 10 a.m. The Uncle Walt Beckard Get the Cleaning Volunteer Service event, the Clean Up City Park, the Marade route along Koufax, and Civic Center Park following the Marade is also on Monday. The Aurora Symphony Commemoration Concert will be held at the People's Building at 9995 East Colfax in Aurora at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and at 11.30 a.m. on Friday, January 25th. This is followed by the luncheon to reflect on Dr. King's legacy at the Community College of Aurora on Wednesday, January 30th. RSVP that event online at auroragov.org MLK. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.